What's up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we are here with one of our favorite writers, Philip ooh, Kennedy ooh, Johnson. Yeah. Welcome. Uh, shucks. Hey, guys. Hey. hey. It's been too long. Welcome to Baltimore. Land yeah. of enchantment. Oh, thank yeah. you. Thank I feel you. enchanted. Yeah, land of so, burning trash. We've been keeping an eye <laughs> on your booth the entire time. It has been packed and busy. What has this con been like for you? It's been nuts, man. I'm, I'm, I'm falling apart. <laughs> I mean, I, I legit love this convention. It's like it's, it's amazing people here, and I've it's my home con, so I see a ton of people every year. There's a lot of them are like you know year after year. Um, it's just awesome, man. I, I love this convention. When I when I say it's crazy, it's because I just like I'm. I'm just really busy, and it's it's the best. Like just talking to fans that I that I get to see all the time, and meeting new people, seeing friends again. I've seen you guys in forever. Yeah, and, and um, like doing doing panels and such. It's been. It's funny how comic cons. The more successful they are, the more wrecked you are. Yeah, it's like a very like strange balance. Yeah, of- I know, and I like I meet more creators than than I knew last time, and I, I you never see them except for the sh- shit like this, right? And so yeah. like you get together and you're seeing your friends for the first time, and especially now. Yeah. Now, that, now that we've won COVID and COVID is over, yeah. <laughs> we did it. We finally get to hang out again, guys. Everything's good. Yeah, Hooray! Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worried about anything. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I also imagine it's a pretty big difference going back a couple of years when you're coming here with great work, but not necessarily with like action comics and Hulk and all of these books behind you. Does that has that changed how fans interact with you and all? Yeah, but yeah, for sure. Because yeah. I mean, yeah, before. Um, you know, it's it's always awesome to see people who've read your stuff and if they read your creator own work. Like, oh, I really like this this little book that almost nobody bought, but I did and I loved it. That's that's the best. But now you got people who are just like died in the wool Hulk fans or yeah. people who've been reading action comics since like you know the '60s or whatever, and, and now you're a part of that. And there's you know they or they'll bring you like. You know, people will bring you a, a, a Captain America shield with all these people who have written Cap. Now you get to be on that thing or wow. like a, their Superman T-shirt when they were a kid or, you know, that's just awesome. Yeah, it's just a whole different thing. People talk to you for different reasons. Sometimes it's about a book they love. Sometimes it's about a character they love or right. about the fact that you're local and they know you or whatever. Like, it just adds more reasons that people might talk to you. I've been wanting to ask you about action comics for a long time because it's it was, it's such a big story that you've already told and now it's expanded even more, I feel like. Such a big swing. How did it feel sort of in the middle of the... I guess you're still in the middle, technically, but in the middle of the beginning. Okay, the middle of the War World saga? Yes. That was, it, was, it was kind of a struggle because they... I mean, they let me do this big, long-form yeah. thing. Yeah. And honestly, longer-form than they were comfortable with. They were like, did we do the right... Like, it was the fact that... Uh, it's it's this long epic thing, and it's not yeah. like very often comics are about. Even if you're writing through the trade, or if you're writing, if you have like a big umbrella arc thing in mind, it's still comics, and you kind of have to have some kind of a flash pow thing that month to make like it's a team up with whoever, or here's the new appearance of a something or other, or the return of some beloved character. And um, on Warworld, it was mostly just like a. A, like chapters of a long ongoing story and, and they were like damn dude when's Clark gonna get back and I could I could feel a little bit of anxiety from above at DC like we gotta get Superman back to Earth and get things back to status quo and and me, uh, I kind of there was a little bit of crossover from editorial like a, an editor left during that during yeah. that time and another editor left and then there, so it was I had three different like senior editors on that series right and whenever a new person came on 
I would push back the goalpost a little bit longer. Like, <laughs> You're like, I, I see an opportunity yeah, here. Yeah, it's like, no, no, June, no, no. It should have been August. Like, well, what about September? <laughs> like, when I know this transition, I'll push it up. Because they, they sent me up there with the whole Grant Morrison authority team. That's a big-ass cast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want it to be for nothing. I wanted them all to have their own arc, you know, something to do and not just not just be kind of in the background. So there was there were all these subplots, and it was big. There was a lot of moving parts to that story. So I kept trying to make sure that the, the story was long enough to do all those characters right. justice. And I feel like in other, like, big arcs like this, there's another book where... Well, where Kal-El Superman is still doing normal Superman stuff, and he, you were it, so I feel like that's where maybe the, a lot of that sort of stress came from. On yeah, end. yeah, for sure. I but mean, you were not, driving, you were driving it for driving him for so long. Yeah, thanks. I I, I love the World Saga. I'm super proud of it, but it's also really exciting to have him back to Earth now and be able to, especially now that we, we kind of got him back in the in the glasses and the hat and all that. It's just so mm-hmm. goddamn exciting. This, this next issue is about to drop. There are these just beautiful Christopher Reeve esque moments of him uh. being a reporter, like Ooh. being the being the you know the shy meek farm boy guy, and while even while like the the bully guy kind of pushes him around, and he's like, oh, I'm just so polite, and I don't know, just those moments in the in the bullpen that are so charming, and um, like the feel good, you know, Superman talking to the there's a there's a moment I really want I've been waiting to do forever. In which Superman is hanging out with an ex-con that he put away, who is now his friend. This oh, guy yeah. that he put away back in the day, who went on to, um, you know, get his life together because of Superman's intervention. The guy that, he, you know, once he was like a henchman for Toy Man or whatever. It never really says who he was exactly, but just some dirtbag that got put away. But now he got out and got his life together. And now they just hang out and have lunch together sometimes. And they, it's like, I want, like, kind of my answer to the, to the Grant Morrison, like, jumper scene. Right. I just wanted to see Superman being being super in a just a, a quiet, inspirational, just sitting and sharing a sandwich kind of a way. Dude, you're gonna get me choked up, man. Yeah, this is he's so crying. beautiful he's to crying. hear you talk about him this way. This is uh, it's really awesome. Thanks, man. I, I feel like you, because you started in something so different from the normal Superman status quo, uh, now you're like sneaking up on all the different yeah. iconic pieces one at a time. Is that yeah. like intentional? Yeah, totally. That's awesome. Yeah, I. I wanted to bring back the, I mean, I know we all kind of have our, our era when we came on, whether we got attached to Superman through Christopher Reeve or Smallville or Henry Cavill or whatever our touchstone stuff is. For me, it's Christopher Reeve, not in a way that it has to, you know, sometimes people get combative, like, no, no, man, like, your way sucks and this one's the best. And it's all beautiful. I just, for me, Christopher Reeve, those movies are not perfect, but his depiction of Superman, for me, was perfect. And uh, I want to hear John Williams' music in the book. You know? Oh, that's so cool! And there's this there's this great spread in the opening scene of 1057 where, and I had to kind of fight for it where I wanted you know usually you see the credit page where the, like there's the big the cluster of credits all together in one spot on the page. I was like, can we do a two page spread where it's um, it's like panel to panel we see Superman flying through Metropolis being awesome like writing little wrongs or helping people. And we see, like, a couple of names in the panel and then a couple more in the next panel, like, opening credits. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. nice. yeah. And they're like, we can't do that. I'm like, tell me why. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, are you going to go to comics jail? It's like, this goddamn comic yeah, book. What, Listen. what rules are we talking <laughs> about? Yeah, like, so we did it. And they're like, yeah, okay, fine. So we did it. And Rafa, without being told, Rafa added this beautiful little um, uh, film. You see the, um, 
forgive me, I'm drawing a blank on the on the word, but the, you see the film along. Oh, like the film, like the strip, the literal on the film side. strip. Yeah, yeah, like at the celluloid in, in the gutters. Yeah, you yeah. see the little cellulite in the gutters. Like, nah, he, that's cool. I didn't even tell him that that's what I was going for, but he totally got it and did nah, it. That's really that. cool. It's so dope. One of the big things though that you've done in terms of Superman. And it's not exactly tweaked the mythology, but looked at it in a different way, is there's a lot of super people. He came back from Warworld yep. with two kids. You have multiple scenes, both in action comics and in Superman as well, but a little less so there, of the whole super family hanging out together in the apartment and interacting. And that's really become a big function of it. Why was that important? And how does that change how you approach Superman, who for a very long time was a lone character, the lone survivor of yeah, Krypton. Yeah, the super family in a way is kind of a way to, differ- one of several ways in which we are differentiating between the Superman and the action books. Um, the Josh book um, is very clearly focusing on Superman. There's a lot of Lois in it too, but it's a Superman book. And I wanted this one to be almost like a homage to the old 80-page, 100-page Giants, mm-hmm. yeah. where you'd feel... They had, they had the Bat Family ones, too, where you'd get a story about Batman or about Superman, and then you'd get a team-up with a couple of the teenage characters, or you'd see Supergirl fighting, you know, Benedict Arnold or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those are Silver Age books. Um, and Benedict I ca- Arnold won. He cheated, <laughs> but he won in that issue. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's... He's tough, man. Yeah, tough. If things have gone a little bit different, if he hadn't had that, <laughs> that, that loyalist wife, you know, like it's... Okay, now we're getting into the weeds. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, where was I? <laughs> I was asking you about uh, what, I guess, what keeps Superman special if he has this whole family Oh, I see, I see. Yeah. Um, it, it is a challenge of the book to keep Superman very much at, like, as the nucleus of the book while making sure all the other characters get their, their time on the page. So uh, we're kind of bringing some character, like a little, you know, B plot, C plot to the fore, and then back into the background again, and making sure that those other characters that are not hit on necessarily are getting time in the backups, and everything is kind of getting some love. Um, yeah, it always has to be a Superman story at its core, but the the B plot and C plot stuff informs his character. There's actually one that we're about to do. Well, one that we just did was very important between John, his son John, and yeah. um, and uh, Osel, the little boy that he brought home. Um, because Jonathan, like, there's, you know, the stuff that happened uh, with him aging up that we have not seen dealt, get dealt with really emotionally, and I wanted to see John now. John's, you know, taking it like a champ the whole time, but now he sees these kids here at the age at which he lost that time with his own folks, and he kind of feels replaced. He's kind of bummed out, even though he's still got it. He's very magnanimous to the kids and tries to be welcoming, but deep, deep down he's, like, sad about it. Well, that's what I love about that, because everyone's being good, but there's still conflict. Yeah. And I think that's one of the hardest things to write about Superman, is like, and the super family, is like, everyone's pretty good, so how do you find conflict? How do you show it? the drama, yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's there are little ways where, you know, the thing between John and Osel was a way to kind of inform Superman's character, like to see him dealing with that, to see him dealing with them having that, that stress between them. It, keep, it kind of keeps it being about Superman in a way. Uh, Kara, to me, has always been... She's the most... She's Even though she's the, the younger cousin or whatever, we all know she's technically the older cousin, and she's the only one who really remembers Krypton. She's like the kind of the, the torchbearer from Krypton um, who actually remembers that place and lost everyone she ever knew. And I see her very differently than somehow she is depicted. I, I, I love that they kind of treat her like the wise old matriarch in a way, even though she's a, practically a teenager. That's an important part of it. And uh, the same thing with 
Connor and Kennan are kind of they're again they're good, but they're also scrappy and kind of they're, yeah. like, they're like bros and they kind of have that ego to them, and that's been really fun to show, especially in Night Terrors. Night Terrors was a really great opportunity to kind of flesh out the uh, that cast to show like the L kids right. in, the, in the context of like a you know Freddy Krueger film. We got to get to see him like play well, play out there. Personal character. You brought back Hank Henshaw for that cyborg super yeah. bad, who is terrifying in this night terror stuff. Yeah. What is it that draws you to him as a villain in particular? Is it just the body horror of it, or is there more? Yeah, to it? I mean, well, basically, yeah. I mean, every every villain to a super, every superhero villain should be a mirror image of that hero in some way. With uh, with Mongol, Mongol was the opposite of the of the Superman mission statement from Action 1. Action 1 describes him as the champion of the oppressed. And if that is true, then the ultimate oppressor should be his opposite, like the, the guy who's the, the intergalactic slaver who's got this cult of slavery and dominance on this other world where it's all about the chains and everything. That's his opposite. Metallo was his opposite in a much more visual kind of sense where there's all, these, there's all this iconography of Superman deflecting bullets or smashing the gun in the guy's hand or whatever. And Metallo was the living gun, the gun that dreamt it was a man. We we see his background where as a uh, basically a good kid who just became addicted to the idea of power through a gun, and his, yeah. his whole life just more and more became that gun over time. Um, so he is that gun that we see Superman fighting all the time in those in those single images. Hank Henshaw, and I, I also I try to avoid having like the cackling pure evil guy, but Henshaw is that crazy guy who's who just blames everything that ever happened to him on Superman. Like, he has just built himself around the concept of getting revenge on Superman for what he blames on him, even though it wasn't his fault. In his mind, he just, he's so crazy to him. Superman is the only thing that ever did anything bad to him, and he's everything evil, and I will, he just, all he can do is just crush everything Superman represents, to to the point where he has built himself this fake hideous Superman body. Uh, He's the closest thing to a pure evil villain that Superman has in my mind. Um, Uh, Oh, just uh, add a quick question about Superman just before we... Oh, no? No, you don't have Josh has been building up this uh, brainiac something in the background of a lot of his titles, not just Superman stuff. Is that something that's going to start leaking into action comics at any point? Not Not in the arc that's about to begin. Like the the uh, the the, the, the uh, Brainiac stuff that's coming, man. What do I say without spoiling the shit out of it? <laughs> I probably shouldn't talk about it. All right. All right. I, that's, uh, that's like fair. the there won't be a lot of. I do like a lot of using a lot of connective tissue everywhere. But in this particular arc, there's such a clear mission for these issues. There's not really room to introduce like. And there's also an alien threat. Like it, mm-hmm. it would just be a little a little tacked on. So there's not a lot of that in this arc. That was well danced around. Uh, You had mentioned Night Terrors. We love the Night Terrors event. It's such a cool thing. Is that something when you're, like, working on a comic and then DC's like, oh, by the way, we're going to do this event. Do you want to, like, do any stuff with it? Or how does it... How does it kind of work? That I will. Hopefully, I don't get in trouble for saying this, but we they uh, when that came along, it came along a little bit late notice. They were like, "We're going to do this thing in the summer. It's going to be called Night Terrors, and it's about like it's like a Freddy Krueger style horror story." So, some people were like, "What? This is right in the middle of my thing," and I'm like, "Whatever, dude, just do it." I, I love that kind of stuff, and, <laughs> and I was I was already kind of figuring out how to wrap it up with Henshaw because I wanted Henshaw to be the, the the guy behind the guy, you know, like the 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 scary thing behind the villain. 
and um, and I was while I was sorting out how to how to do those reveals and make it all feel very paid off and not just have someone disappear at the end. Night Tears came along. I was like, oh my god, that's perfect. So then I could make Henshaw the big bad of the. He's like the perfect Freddy Krueger for these two issues. Because um, like we could introduce the bad guy, scare the crap out of the kids. Because they're new to this whole scene. They're yeah. like, oh, this is like my dad, except he's this awful thing. And and so he's like also having literal nightmares about him. And then he gets we get to bring out this boogeyman for two issues. It was perfect timing, and I love that stuff anyway. I feel like, at least when I read your work, it feels like you think through it. It's so thoughtfully made. So when you're throwing something like Night Terrors, are you like, I have to go for a walk immediately and think about this intensely? Or I guess the real question is, how do you work to to get that depth to what you're writing, and when you get thrown a curveball, how do you react? Um, I the curveball, yeah, there was a curveball, and I had to kind of figure out what how we were gonna address it. But Ben, I mean, this 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 uh, this con is my first time meeting Bendis in person. Oh, oh wow! And um, we did a couple, we did several panels together, and something that he talks about a lot. He teaches a lot. He teaches in in Portland, teaches a comics class. And um, in that class and here, he talks about yes-anding everything and not, not being like... It's an improv. Where, yeah, yeah improv. Exactly. He is all about improv. He talks about... He, he is obsessed with SNL. He's obsessed with improv, out, like, you know, to a depth of, the, the, to which I do not understand. He's, like, I'm a complete layman, and he's, like, way into it. Um, yeah, he talks about yes-anding. It's, like, it's the thing... He's a touch something he comes back to a lot. Where it's in this shared universe that we do, and whenever we're doing DC or Marvel stuff, it's this big ass sandbox. Everyone's playing with the same toys at once sometimes, and whenever somebody else adds a thing, you can't. It's best not to be like, no, no, you can't. It breaks everything I'm doing. It's like instead, it's like, cool. How do we make that work? I mean, I, I experienced that most intensely when Grant was doing Superman: The Authority while I was doing my stuff. Uh, Grant was like, I want to do this. I'm not going to tell Grant Morrison shit. <laughs> hey, no. Yeah, right. No, Grant. <laughs> yeah. So we just like, cool, whatever. We're going to make it work. And it made some really creative choices for, for me. And also, Grant also adjusted and made it work, you know, for, for me too. He was super, you know, thoughtful about all that. As far as how to, um, how to try to tell the smart version of a thing, um, I try to be mindful of the theme underneath the whole thing like what's this about like the, the thing that's driving every page ultimately towards the end for Metallo it was the concept of the of the kid who found a gun and the, for the rest of his life became that gun mm-hmm. and creatively is a living gun himself that was the, the thing that drove the whole thing I find giving him motivation so he's not just like ha ha I'm a bad guy and I look cool I'm a Terminator but I have kryptonite in my chest <laughs> I wanted to make it like, yeah, but who gives a shit? Like, why do you want what you want? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, finding the theme at the center of it, and, um, and, then, and then the character the character arcs above that, and then the minutia above that. Like, like if the story is an ice sculpture, it's chainsaw first, you know, uh-huh. and not just scalpel the whole way like I used yeah. to. Yeah, chainsaw first, and then, then chisel, then scalpel at the end. Nice. I, I want to ask you about Hulk, if we can turn to oh, that for a God, second. please. So... Yeah. <laughs> And I don't mean this derisively to anybody, but when we read the first issue of that, it felt like you read a mortal Hulk that everybody's like, this is the horror Hulk. And you're like, 
cool, but here's the real horror hall. Hold my beer, horror hall. <laughs> That's yeah. right. That's adorable, Al Ewing. <laughs> let's do this. Let's try this again. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was no. the motivation behind it? Um, okay, so they came to me to, be, to do Hulk, and I had just let go of Alien, and I loved Alien. I oh, yeah, so be, awesome. believe me, we could tell you loved it. Oh, thank you. Just I, the I, reading yeah. of it and the, the other page, the back pages and stuff, I was like, wow, this guy loves this. I do, man. I do. I uh, it was. It still hurts my heart to let go of it. I, I love those films, except for four. <laughs> uh, and I, I just wanted the mission statement for that was for me. To, I, I want to make these stories that feel like they belong on the shelf with the movies. You know, like, yeah. I want to feel like I want to feel like the movies in comic form. Um, and I, but I just was utterly out of bandwidth, and I was like, I, I just need to breathe. I feel like I'm pretty soon the cracks are going to start to show in my work, and I got to. I got to find some space, so I let go. It's been two years. I was very proud. We did three solid arcs. It was beautiful. I was happy with it. Walked away. And they're like, do you want to do Hulk next? And I um, <laughs> I was not expecting that call. Yeah. You know, but, like, I mean, I, I do like Hulk, but I don't like every Hulk run ever. I got my favorites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn, dude, I don't think I can say no to Hulk. Because it's Hulk, the beauty of Hulk, the genius of the Hulk concept is in the simplicity and the complexity underneath it. Uh, it's like... It's it's around midnight, you know. Like it's this beautiful melody that any little kid can hear and get. Be like, oh, cool! It's a he gets angry, turns into a big rage monster. I get it. That's awesome. And but the the it, the deeper you look into the concept, the more nuance you can find or make in it, and the more it can mean anything. It can be a a metaphor for your own rage issues, or for addiction, or for um, you know child abuse, or for you know substance abuse, or for there's so much you can do with it. Yeah. And it's been done so effectively so many different ways. And um, as far as the tone of it, though, man, Immortal Hulk is just, like, top shelf. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was so effective as a Hulk, as a, uh, as a horror vehicle. Um, to me, it was so effective that it is kind of, it's going to steer the Hulk mythos at least somewhat from now on. I think it should, anyway. Right. Um, it's just so effective. It's like you can't imagine Swamp Thing not being a spooky book. I like guess it's... Mm-hmm. it's it's going to be hard to imagine Hulk not having an element of creepiness to it from now on. That's just sorry to interrupt you, but it's really interesting to hear you say that and thinking about like reading the Peter David run, which is like crazy different. And you yeah. can't really, you can't be like, all right, we're jumping back to the Pantheon for the next arc. Like that's yeah. insane now. You're yeah. right. And in my opinion, yeah, for, for me personally, that's what I, I just miss Immortal. I thought it was amazing. And um, but the, the Donnie run actually introduced some elements like, okay, well, now Hulk and Banner legit hate each other. Like, Hulk has a reason to deeply hate Banner now. Yeah. Um, so I kind of thought with it, I, the biggest challenge was how do I not just ape Immortal because it was perfect? Like, how do, I, how do I not just do that again? Uh, my way into that was, so I had to kind of sit with it. I did not say yes immediately. You know, I figured I would. I was like, well, what, what am I going to do? It's not just going to be a, a ripoff of Al. And um, I decided my way in would be rather than the black science horror take where it's like Cronenberg, like a dark laboratory type shit. Like, what if we do more like a folk horror kind of thing where it's... Um, like Taylor Swift's folklore. <laughs> exactly. Like Taylor Swift take on Hulk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hulk Taylor's version. Have, yeah. you, have, you got, have you guys read uh, Hellboy, Crook, the, the Crooked Man? Remember that story that yes. Richard Corbin did? Yeah. It's very much inspired by that. Okay. Like if, I had to that kind of, if I had to kind of boil it down to one inspiration, um, it's Hellboy, Crooked Man. But also Hellboy in general. The way that Hellboy tends to 
just kind of roam through the world of myth and folklore and cosmic horror, and these things kind of find him, and he sees these aspects to the world to which the rest of us are blind. So now we kind of got Hulk on this, like, Bill Bixby-style walkabout, but through the American South, like the Southern Gothic-style dark stuff. And I get to add all these things to the Marvel bestiary. Uh, so I'm, I'm adding tons and tons of monsters um, nah, in, in a way awesome. that... I mean, we're bringing out things from, the, from, from yesteryear that we don't see anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, as we saw in that last page of, page of, uh, of issue one where we see Man-Thing come out and we, yeah. see, we see Ghost Rider, which we're about, to, we're about to see a new Ghost Rider that I'm super stoked That's about. That's awesome. Um, but also all these creatures that have kind of been in the back of my mind. Actually, my first Marvel story ever was a 10-pager called War Devil. And it's, it, it tells the story of PTSD as an African folk monster, basically. Like this thing that this um, this thing that passes through spilled blood. And like the, it's the, the first hunter of men, you know, that, that comes from the African plains when men first showed up. And there's this thing that hates mankind more than anything. And it becomes, it becomes it, it's the thing that war comes from. Yeah. And it's the thing that PTSD now, it now lives, it survives in the world as PTSD. Like oh, wow. somebody is, sees or experiences something super fucked up and they get blood splashed on them and then it passes to them and then they're broken and then they, they break someone else. And that's this thing called the War Devil. Jeannie DeGaulle, the War Devil. And we're about to see that as a creature in Hulk now. Ooh. Yeah, it was a 10-pager. How did you fit a story? That sounds like such an intense concept. It was now a lot. A it, was <laughs> a, it was actually based on... Sorry if I'm getting... This is this story is less fun, <laughs> but I... Uh, actually, yeah, this is pretty dark. But I got it. I, uh, I knew an Army Ranger who has since died, who um, his whole job for deployment after deployment after deployment was to go over there. He was with a, t- an, a team of Rangers, and uh, they would go on these night raids and just kill bad guys in their sleep every day uh, for like months wow. at a time and he told me the story and uh, what that was like and uh, so I took that 10 pager I, wow. I, took, I took that idea and I kind of used it to tell a story of what PTSD is through the, t- through the lens of folklore and I'd basically we see a, an army ranger squad doing that throughout the night and they uh, and something happens on this particular as, as the one guy is narrating in his inner monologue uh, so we're seeing, we're hearing his inner monologue while we're seeing another story play out from his perspective. And at first, it's like you don't understand how they relate until the end, and they kind of come together, and you see what the war devil is. Well, wow. to that point, and I don't know if you can get into this because it feels like this is something this story is working up to. Every Hulk story has its own take on the Hulk Banner dichotomy, like what they mean to each other, where it comes from, how it ties together. We talked about the Peter David thing. Obviously, he dug very heavily into abuse and that there. What's your take on that? What, is that something that is coming up? Do you feel like it's already present in the book? Who, yeah, who is Hulk and who is Banner? There's a depart- the, um, the point of departure in issue one is that Hulk is now, Hulk hates Banner now. And he's done with this whole song and dance. He's like, okay, this body is mine now. I'm just going to keep coming. Like, you, you locked me up in your mind and enslaved me, turned me into this thing, and now, like, I'm out, and now you're the one who's screwed. And now I'm, gonna, I'm the one who's going to lock you up. So now Banner, it becomes like a movie. It goes back to Banner, uh, excuse me, uh, the Hulk's movie monster roots. It was always supposed to be like a Frankenstein slash... Jekyll and Hyde thing, and then over the years it kind of became more of a superhero kind of book. But it's but the roots are in horror that yeah. Al Ewing tapped into so effectively, like a movie monster type thing. So this 
is a movie, like a horror movie, in which Hulk is the monster of the film, like the thing from It Follows or The Ring or uh, Smile, where the thing is, the, the monster is behind your eyes, like hunting you. So Banner is on the road, like Bill Bixby was, and um, he's just kind of on the road. And if it's not the it's not the old "you wouldn't like me when I'm angry" thing. Instead, it's anytime Banner gets too close to making a friend or having a moment's peace or finding love or somebody's nice to him or he's almost he's almost found this thing that he's working towards he sees like a pair of green eyes in the shadows and starts to run and then like he blacks out and he wakes up and he's in a pile of green vomit and half-eaten deer and <laughs> sirens are going and dogs are barking he's like oh my god what happened like the whole what did I do last night addiction thing yeah. it's like a Bruce Banner prank show <laughs> yeah, it's right. like ha ha Check that gotcha. out. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. You ate a deer. I wanted to. I wanted to play up the body horror aspect of the transformations a lot, and but I also wanted to have. I mean, all of this can relate to like, if only I could get control of this thing about myself that I hate. Yeah. Like, if only I could stop gambling, or if I could, I could stop drinking, or if I could, you know, not get so angry at whoever at work, or if I could deal with this thing that I hate about myself. So it's just kind of like the. On the, this guy is running from his own compulsions, and when he thinks he has it under control, it comes out and breaks everything. Well, and I feel like one of the things that I loved, I think it was the first issue, uh, when uh, the uh, banner's bleeding, you see the transformation start in the blood first. Yeah. And I was like, that's sick. And that sort of like body horror that you just don't see coming that way. Yeah, man. Uh, Nick Klein's art is just crushing it. That guy is a virtuoso. Anything else you want to plug? Anything else coming out? I mean, obviously, we've talked a lot about these two books, but... Yeah, well, I mean, about, well, about the Banner thing, I don't want people to think that the Hulk is the villain. He's, he's, the, the, the challenging thing about Hulk is that I, the, the relationship between him and Banner is, like, rough right now. Where Hulk, uh, Banner is terrified of him, and he's on the run, like he should be from a monster, like a movie monster. But in the end, both Banner and Hulk... Do and they, it is in them inherently to do good things, whether even if it's like accidental or, or begrudgingly or um, Banner still means very well. And and Hulk, even though he does not think of himself as a hero and he kind of wants to be left alone, ultimately he'll he's going to save the person in trouble. He's like, he's going to see you're going to see these two people who are completely at odds, um, still kind of. Um, collectively making up the hero of the story that I'm really excited about. And Charlie, the girl, is kind of the yeah. the way through which we see those relationships. We see I want somebody else that gets to interact with both and has different relationships with each. You know, so man, I'm just so excited about that book. And I, I'm driven by the art of Nick Klein. I'm just writing every every word for that guy. Travel Foreman is doing the art of issues four and five, and there will be either him or others will do other fill in art uh, art arcs as Nick gets caught up. But um, I just couldn't be more excited about this about that book. Um, aside from Action and Hulk, uh, Green Lantern War Journal is about to come out yeah. and with John Stewart. I'm super stoked about that one too. To me, John Stewart is the consummate Green Lantern, and, and in a way, the consummate superhero. The guy, he's the guy that was made a superhero immediately threw his mask off. Like I don't need this. The guy, I'm John Stewart, Green Lantern. I'm going to do what's right. I'm not going to hide from anybody. Inspired by his civil rights mother, which gives him that inherent distrust of masks, and he's like, "I'm a, I'm a hero. I don't care who knows it. I'm gonna do what's right." So I'm super proud of that book. I'm writing 007 right now. Yeah. 
um, that's been really fun. It's like has a kind of has a statement about patriotism that means a lot to me, especially now that that word's kind of you know up for grabs of various various groups. You know, like <laughs> what does it what does it mean to be a patriot? Like an actual patriot and not a Nazi that says that. Yeah. And uh, what does it mean to be someone who's served your country's government, your country's war machine in a way now that defense contractors are becoming a bigger part of it and now that, um, you know, uh, it's not always a, a war between um, ideologies. Sometimes it's a war between various bottom lines and, and um, you know, oligarchs and corporations and so, yeah, anyway, 007 for King and Country is coming out now. And I'm doing a Creator Rome coming out soon. Really? Yeah. yeah. I am super fucking stoked about it. It's a, I shouldn't tell, I shouldn't get into too many details, but it's coming out probably early next year. It's a, like a psychological thriller, somewhere between Nightcrawler and Breaking Bad, I would say. Wow. And you're going to love it. That's uh, awesome. How far along in the process are you? Uh, the first script and change are done. The artist is attached, but not yet begun. It's very early. Oh, nice. But it's going to look super dope. Oh, that's awesome. You're going to love it. Uh, I'm so excited. Can't wait. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, always a pleasure always awesome chatting to with you. you guys. Always love hearing the show. Oh, oh my gosh. Thanks. We love talking to you. And if you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts, we do patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comics. Apple, Android, Spotify, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok or Instagram, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the Comic Book Shop. Every Tuesday night, yeah, 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 yeah. Once a week, that blows your